If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, hey everyone, would you welcome still back agree? to Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan. Today, I have my good friend Andrew Ramondi on as we talk about. Kobe Bryant and his legacy um, after the unfortunate events that happened on Sunday um, with him and eight other passengers um, in that helicopter crash. Um, and it, I'm just happy to kind of bring Andrew on as we can kind of shed light on his legacy, on Kobe's legacy, and um, talk about some of our reactions to, to everything that ended up coming out. And then maybe we'll go, go in a little bit deeper about some of the things that culturally Kobe's legacy has um, an impact on as a whole. So, Andrew, welcome back on to the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Obviously, it kind of sucks to have to, you know, it, 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 as people who love the NBA and follow the NBA, I mean, this was a significant cultural event that just happens to kind of touch something we both we both love. But it's going to cast a, a very long shadow over over this season on the whole and i i think there's going to be tons more discussion but uh to kind of give our perspective on it i i think is something that that we got to do um i kind of just wanted to start by saying like i listened to you and your brother give a very brief reaction uh that was on sunday or I, I think it was month so it was monday night yeah. So, uh, and I think I think your brother captured a lot of just the initial shock of of things and kind of how it was definitely a sing. Just like I mean, we'll get into it all, but like just from that perspective of like uh, I know he mentioned like Princess Diana or maybe it was you who I like think, talked yeah, about yep. your parents kind of comparing it to that, and I that definitely I didn't come up with that comparison on my own, but I had read it somewhere and I think it. This is like one of the more significant, like cult. I mean, it's definitely the most shocking celebrity death of our lifetime. I mean, obviously, people like Prince and Michael Jackson, it was pretty big, but those people had had kind of documented health issues and stuff like that. Like, I mean, it was it was a pretty shocking day. I know we were both a little. I was certainly shaken up on the day. I ended up breaking the news to you, actually, kind of forwarding you a tweet. Um, from TMZ. Yeah, yeah. So, like, very, like, it, I, it, I kind of got the news very close to the beginning, and it was weird to watch it. Like, I was watching a Maryland basketball game, and like, having it unfold was kind of surreal. And I think that that surreal element still persists to some extent. Like, it's kind of a cliche to be like, it still doesn't feel real or whatever. But I am getting hit with this cognitive dissonance, like, a few days out kind of the initial shock has worn off but you'll still be watching tv or something and you know you'll see his face in like kind of 1978 to 2020 and just like it's one of those things where your brain can't like put you know like that he's dead because we wouldn't be <laughs> but you know what i mean like right. you can't like it's just weird you know it still feels like something that like my friend was ryan was saying like it's like something that would happen in a dream you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it, your brain can't even conceive of it so yeah i mean how are you feeling uh, a few days after on that surface surface level honestly like a few days after it's set in a l obviously a lot more in the initial 
aware and shock of all the stuff that initially started coming out um, has worn off to that extent. But I guess just in terms of that that reminder and like kind of scrolling through Twitter or like Instagram, like your search feed or whatever, and you're you're just searching through like all these like mini memorials yeah. on Twitter basically yeah. of people giving their statements and thoughts and you know our pot this podcast we're giving our thoughts on and reflecting on his legacy um through this podcast it just kind of makes you hyper aware of a lot of the things that I think maybe you know I, I think a lot of people were kind of saying think about all the people that are closest around mm-hmm. you and don't take them for granted. And I think that was something that I th- a lot of people reflected on on Sunday. Yeah. And kind of was just like, oh, wow, like there's other stuff that I should be grateful for instead of like complaining about my, I don't know, coffee yeah, order totally. on, on st- at Starbucks yeah, and or I something think, like that. I think there are is a lot to be said, especially and also in the last few days, how the NBA kind of community at large has reacted. I want to talk about that a lot, too. I think you're right in that that we've seen a lot of like. Intra- and not obviously the central the tragedy is the tragedy, like we don't have to overstate that, like right. Kobe Bryant dying in a helicopter crash with his daughter and all these other people on board is like. A hor- you know what I mean, a horrific event. So we don't want to talk. I, it's, I, I just want to make it clear that when we get into kind of these meta ideologies or look at it philosophically, like that's always the, the essential tragedy of it is the center of it all. But I think you're right that like there was this interesting kind of micro. We've seen a lot of like micro. Co- co- like it's held up a mirror. Yeah. yeah, it's held up a, a mirror, I think, to kind of like. And now I don't think it's going that far to say like our own. You don't get a lot of opportunities as a culture to like collectively reflect on like your own humanity and the fragility of existence you know what i mean right and and that is kind of what happened i was saying um just to rewind a little bit and we're going to talk about everything i want to talk about kobe the player we want to talk about the coverage we want to talk about kind of the nice the the tributes we've seen and what what we'll think about but i I did want to, it was just because we're kind of taking it chronologically at this point. I, I never said this to you, but I said in my group me on the day, like, it was weird. Like, it was probably one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had on social media was, like, this thing of, like, basically after I found out that Kobe had died and, like, it seemed to be confirmed, there was this weird experience, like, that everyone was having of, like, I was glued to my phone for so much yep. of the day. And just this weird behavior, like, there was something about the idea of, like, me scrolling through Twitter, like, kind of, like, sad, shocked, and, like, just watching these, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Like, this can't be real. Like, these... And then the tributes start to pour in. Like, it was just a very odd... I've never had an experience like that mm-hmm. before with, like, where you would see people, like you know in the social media age like obviously there have been tragedies happened every day but like the universality of it and like the collective 
grief. Process. Yeah. No, but like almost. Uh, I, I'm talking about the very beginning. Mm, yeah. We have seen collective grief, and I right. think it's gone into a more human place. But like that collective, like once again, just like befuddlement, shock, yeah, sadness was like truly a very singular experience in in my life. Honestly. Yeah, and I I really can't remember a moment where I felt that sense of like complete shock no yeah like a be from like a celebrity yeah. death or yeah. from like a someone passing away because you did bring up a couple names like prince and but i mean while they were surpri- i think it was surprising but it was almost i don't know how to they they didn't i don't know for prince like he didn't i guess like mean I think it's possible. Well, and that's why I'm kind of like, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just think I have a good hand. I also just think those Kobe (laughs) Bryant just to us at our age, like, and what he means to us, it just makes more, it's just more central to our, Prince was obvious, is obviously important and stuff like that. But like Kobe Bryant has played more of a role in my lifetime and my understanding of our cult american culture than prince has and on like michael jackson it was just it, it's slightly different i think right because, like yeah. there had been such a kind of like downhill whereas this is like a way more sudden kind of out of nowhere type thing mm-hmm. but but just to set that aside for a moment and we'll have time because i kind of want to i don't just want this to be like i don't know I, what do you think about now when what do you think about Kobe? Let's talk about Kobe the player for a second, and like our, let's kind of delve into that, like where he fits in to our, to our lives basically. Like what what are those first couple things you think about when you reflect on Kobe, either as you know a cultural figure, as a basketball player, or or whatever, you know? Because the narrative has started to be shaped, like, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, like this second half of his career and like where he was going and that kind of like amplifies the tragedy of it all. But I think that narrative, like I think that's pretty established at this point. So, so what do you, but what do you make of, you know, well, him to uh, you personally? Yeah, obviously like on the court, he kind of displayed that like the idea of Mamba mentality mm-hmm. was like, has become like his, his brand and yeah. how, you know, working through every and everything like injuries, like hurt, pain, yeah, um, you know, fatigue, all those things. Working through a lot of that, like having that work ethic to work hard, whatever it is that you do, I think was something that I kind of took away from his game. But it's kind of interesting, like the way I remember his playing career and the way I think people sometimes maybe. I, w- I don't want to say glorify, but, like, maybe kind of ref- remember a little fondly of what it was that he did. Like, I think some at some points, like, in his in his playing career, like, he had the ball in his hands too much. Mm-hmm. Like, all those types of things, yeah. obviously. And, like, you could kind of nitpick here and there, like, if he passed the ball a little bit more than... And he referenced it during his, like, retirement, like speech yeah um after his last game like it was kind of funny how you know in his last game when he scored 60 against utah everyone wanted him to shoot and shoot and shoot and then he kind of references 
that was the only game they wanted him to do that, and then they wanted him to pass more earlier in his career. And maybe it kind of goes into that idea of, like, having that singular figure of yeah. having, like, this idea of, like, in Greek tragedies of, like, having a hero uh-huh. and building that hero yeah. up and being, like, he's the one guy that's going to be able to save us no matter what. Yeah. And I think that's what Kobe did so well on the court of playing into that. You, and we were talking about this at lunch a little bit, but I think what you said really actually illuminated this. And we, I was saying how, and I, I kind of am stealing this idea, Ramona Shelburne talked about this on a podcast with Zach Lowe like the day after, after his death, but like how in the first couple days, especially, I mean, we're not even a week out, it, it should be noted, but like this idea of like turning to kind of myth and legend for comfort. And I think you just outlined that Kobe Bryant was arguably more suited to legend and myth than arguably any other player in NBA history for mm-hmm. that reason. Like, obviously, he was a divisive figure in some ways, even on in that on-the-court style that you referenced. But, like, because now he, he's going to be known, like, that, unfortunately, his untaught, like, his, the way he died and, like, this kind of, premature end end to his life and his legacy is going to lead to it almost you know what i mean right like it's kind of this cycle that feeds now in and of itself that like it's going to this overall legend kind of you know because it amplifies onto itself you know what i mean and especially and i think another thing people have pointed out is because of that strength and uh determination and will that we characterize him as having so often the fact that of dying in this kind of like random tragic way you know what i mean like people have said oh i can't believe he was never going to be taken down by you know something like this and no one could ever conceive of it i think that that plays into it as well but i kind of wanted to talk about something a little bit more narrow when i talk about what i think of kobe as, mm-hmm. as a lover of the game of basketball, I mean, I was saying to you that, like, my my basketball fandom starts in, like, kind of 2009, probably. Tail I don't have a lot. Yeah, I don't have memories of those Shaq days or, you know, even that middle period where he was a little bit more lost after, after, after Shaq was traded. Uh, it starts in that. I was thinking about, like, uh, w- I got Sports Illustrated for a while, like, after I kind of first started getting into sports on the whole. And, like, 08 and 09, I was still more of, like, you know, a college football fan and a football fan. I'd started to root for the Blazers, but I had an awareness of the NBA. And I, I remember, uh, I think it was the 09 playoff run. Remember how, like, Trevor Ariza started, like, coming up? Like, he kind of came out of nowhere and yep. was, like, a big part of that finals run where they ended up beating the Magic. And I remember this this Sports Illustrated cover with Kobe. It was about Trevor. Like, the headline was, like, pa- Kobe, pow. I don't know if it was, like, Andrew Bynum or Lamar Odom, but it was, like, yeah. Kobe, pow, Andrew, Trevor. But, I like, I remember. So, like, my kind of – I know him as this li- late career figure. And although, to be – quite frank with you like when i think about other players like who i would be able to talk like i'd probably be able to talk about lebron a little bit more um a little bit more 
cogently and clearly, probably KD. Like, I'd be able to clarify those things a lot. But when I think of Kobe, I think of, like, the way he moved on a basketball court, honestly. Yeah. I don't think about, like, the the ball hogginess that much in terms of the singularity, although it does. Watching that 60-point game, even, and and Zach Lowe was talking, I was glad to finally hear someone talk about this. Apparently, he modeled his game after Jordan in a lot of ways. Yep. I mean, that this narrative idea has been done to death as well. Kind of like that. I think this might play be, end up being a lasting narrative also that, like, although LeBron is going to be arguably the closest to, to Jordan as an analog just in terms of pure greatness, I think Kobe might now, and it's starting to become apparent, like, his kind of ties. But anyway... To make a roundabout, I, I'm rambling a little bit. What I really wanted to get through, too, is just, like, watching Kobe highlights. Like, the way he moved on a basketball court was, like, so cool and so graceful. Like, he kind of had this fluid mo- motion to him. Like, his shoulders are kind of shrugging up and down as he jogs around. Like, kind of these, like, st- long, arching step backs and kind of these fading away at these you know, these wild angles contrasted with this very line drive kind of shot. Yep. It, there's just an iconicness to it that that always stuck out to me, and that's kind of the thing that sticks with me in lieu of that uh, iconography that um, a lot of other people will associate him. Even in my, you know, my, my not, like, they're, they're really, I can say that, like, I really knew of no other basketball player like him, even though I wasn't that present necessarily for his whole career. Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of always remember the move that he'll, like, he'll always kind of have this move where he, like, is in the, he's in the post, kind of, mm-hmm. and, and, like, he'll, he's, like, towards the baseline, and he's, like, backing his defender down stops his dribble turn around fade away jumper towards the baseline like in all like pretty much money all the time like and then variations off of that that move because he would have his defenders scared about go and it was pretty much like an uh, unstoppable move to even guard and and like i think a lot of times especially with people our age we kind of forget some of like the pure athleticism yeah. that he had earlier on in his career mm-hmm. and just ter- in terms of him being like super athletic making these crazy dunks and like just like and he would show glimpses of it like um later on in his career but he wouldn't even need to do those things yeah. because of how smart of a player he became yeah and i think when he like defensively I think a lot of the times people kind of forget how good he was, and and maybe he was a tad bit overrated towards. Yeah, but I think he was like twelve, almost twelve time All Defense or right, something right. like that. Right, so. and like I think he kind of built up a reputation after like yeah. the fifth time he made it. Sure, but he would lock guys up, um, and like I I just re- I I was watching like a Dwayne Wade. Kobe highlight or something and it was just like a random highlight but yeah. Dwayne Wade was like bringing the ball down the court and it was like in the second quarter and it was and and the clock was running out and Kobe's picking him up picking him up half or er, full court and like basically causes Dwayne Wade to turn the ball over and and those are the things that I'll kind of rem- rem- be reminded of because of that tenacity that yeah. he brought towards like every game and like 
the idea of I I'm I'm curious to know like the idea of like what he thinks about the resting culture in the well, NBA. Well, I was I was about to say something not necessarily related to that, but he truly for better and for worse, whatever, like I we don't have to I don't really have much of an interest in getting into the merits of that. Like I think you summed it up pretty well yeah. in your opening statement. But he certainly was the last of a kind, a last of his kind. Yep. In a way, even though I pointed out he certainly was an idiosyncratic type of player, but certainly marks that delineation point between like the old NBA and the new NBA, as it were. And the the kind of horrible thing though is like in this in the in the pantheon on the NBA, it's important to remember that like the NBA isn't that old. And when you look at these top ten, these greatest figures of all time, with the exception of Wilt Chamberlain, they're all still alive. Like Bill Russell is still around, like Kareem Abdul Jabbar is still around. And I think Kobe's kind of untimely passing, unfortunately, makes all of these things come into focus super duper clearly because unfortunately he's not going to be around to shepherd in whatever the NBA becomes as, as we go on. And his, like I I said at the beginning, I think his legacy is going to last a long shadow. Like I don't, the rest of the season, it will kind of be interesting, you know, whatever. I don't want to, this was kind of supposed to be for the end, but like how, how the NBA is covered and how players are covered and stuff like that it, it, in in this context, it, it's uncharted territory for, and that's why it's kind of hard to talk about. But like, I think I think it ca- it it complicates a lot of things and kind of also allows for contextualization of a lot of things that like we maybe hadn't considered or like that wouldn't have been talked about for years and years and years, but are now getting brought up, kind yeah. of. And I, I guess to kind of, like, move on from this and kind of, like, like even just seeing, like, the cultural impact that he did yeah. have on, um, like, there are people that I know for sure don't talk about the NBA or don't like basketball or don't, like, that's not in their mind at all. Um, but they were clearly affected by this, and... Like, even my parents, who aren't avid watchers of the NBA, they know who Kobe Bryant is, and they're absolutely shocked that something like that happened. Um, And, like, friends that were um, giving these tributes to him on Instagram that I knew, like, weren't huge fans of Kobe Bryant, but they understood who he was and what he meant to the culture. Um, And I think that's kind of... it. It kind of showed, like the amount of impact that he was having post-career mm-hmm. as well because yeah. he was sta- still staying relevant um, in today's culture. Um, and, like, it, it was just, like, like my brother was making the point a couple days before that, like, earlier in the week, like, he was becoming a meme with hi- him and his daughter yeah, when he was I know. Like, all those things. So it just kind of showed, like, the the cultural impact, how far-reaching it was, and how global it was, too. Yeah. Like, there were all those tributes in the Philippines with that court, that lo- that mural court that looked amazing. Um, there are just so many instances of that across the world that it just showed how amazing his reach was, and it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down or 
die down anytime soon. No, I think to some extent we're going to be doing this forever. You know what I mean? Like, it, this is just kind of the beginning of of the shaping of that kind of legend and that that impact. I, I don't think ever goes away. And in some ways it, you know, it gets magnified by, by this. But uh, I think I'm kind of more interested in what I've responded to a little bit more over the past couple of weeks was kind of the humanity that this has illuminated, especially in the NBA community. I mean, you saw from like the the night of his passing, kind of these players in these games getting getting overwhelmed with emotion from you know Trey Young to Devin Booker to people who had played l- with him like Tyson Chandler, and then in the past couple of days you've you've heard from pretty much everybody like you mentioned the um, um Williams and like uh, Jay Will- yeah, yeah Jay Williams and. Did you see the Shaq thing from from inside the NBA a couple nights ago? And I was saying to you, um, it's kind of weird. Like, the human in me wants to say, like, don't – why do we have to throw these guys on TV, man? Like, it's not – imagine if, like, someone – a co-worker – you know what I mean? Like, imagine if someone we were friends with in law school, you know, or something died and, like, we had to go and, like, talk about them on TV or something while we were still dealing with that – initial grief like for us as horrifying and sad as as we find all this like at the end of the day they are just Kobe is just a figure to us on the obviously he represents things and we we can be as shaken at from it by everyone but there is a marked difference between someone who knew his family and something and and it makes me and it and I feel bad in some ways that they have to process this this grief in in front of all of us and I kind of wanted to talk about that later when it comes to the NBA season because there are certain things we've talked or that people talk about that kind of make me feel a little icky but but we we can get back to that but on the other hand though you know if hopefully it's helping them you know process things and stuff like that which which i think it is but i think there is a if if there's a a a positive thing i mean positive is not the right word but if there's a thing that's made me feel good from the past couple days it's seeing someone like Shaq, you know openly talk about grief and you know uh love you know what i mean saying like i don't say i love you enough and stuff like that and especially like being a dude and being a guy who likes sports and stuff like that you know what i mean you don't get that sports is such a it's a nice counterbalance in a way and i was saying this to you at lunch it's kind of a nice counterbalance like they're both equally important right like the legend and and the the context and the and the game and the cultural impact is important but at the at the same time seeing these people who we think of as just figures and kind of like larger than life talk like human beings and realize that they have the same complicated feelings about about grief and loss and you know friendship and and trust and love as 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 we do i i really appreciate the the fact that they're willing to to be open and share with us like that because i i think it's in it what you said earlier about people grappling with, you know, mortality or, you know, the, the, the fra- frailty of life or whatever, I, th- I think it's kind of hand in hand. It, it's, I hope, and, you know, everyone in the wake of a tragedy or whatever, that's when your feelings are at your most emotional and when you are most likely to think it's, it's impacting you. But I, I think 
in terms of the chance of having a lasting impact, it, it it's a nice thing to see. Yeah, and I think, you know, that, that silver lining that you were talking about, seeing someone like Shaq and Jerry West yeah. show that type of emotion, like visible emotion, in, in the whole is very, it's heartwarming to see because that is something that, they weren't afraid to be authentic and genuine in the moment that they were feeling. And mm-hmm. so raw and honest in those moments because, you know, they could have, you know, Shaq could have, and I'm sure it's an extremely difficult time, but for all those people that actually knew Kobe personally, but someone like Shaq, who, like, was his teammate and his key partner in those three championships, um, early on in Kobe's career and being able to see him and like their relationship and how that kind of went, you know, there are hills and valleys within that relationship as well. And to see the amount of emotion that Shaq was displaying and not without him just caring what he was showing on his face, it was heartwarming to see that because it showed that at the end of the day, all the stuff that they had, you know, maybe whatever beef they had on the court or whatever when they were playing, like, they, it was so insignificant compared to obviously the human aspect yeah, of Yeah, like exactly. That. And I think it shatters the, and that's the thing, like, I, and that's kind of why I was saying I'm not trying to be like flippant or like, but, like, I was seeing people be like, I don't want to ever talk about, like, who the greatest of all time is. You know what I mean? Because, like, it shatters the illusion of when we talk about these things purely as, like, from a a, a, a bird's eye view and from a, it's fun to kind of compare one person or the other or whatever. Right, right, right. You, you kind of discount to some way the humanity. And at some point, you have to account for both. You know what I mean? Like, it we can't just, like... At, at all the time be like well none of this ma- like we can't end every nba podcast while being like none of and this by the matters, way none yeah. of this matters because we're all gonna die anyway like go hug your family or whatever Shout out to the stranger <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but uh, you know it is in it is not necessarily nice but it is useful i think to remember that these are these are human beings and that you know like you said like that behind that like beef that we like like to not we, meaning the royal we, you know, like to laugh at or, you know what I mean? Like, and there were a lot of parts of Kobe's legacy in the later years or whatever, like the Muse Cage and stuff like that, that like you want, you wanted to look at from this top down angle and be able to laugh at or be able to analyze in kind of a removed way. It, it makes you realize that at the end of the day, these are these that there's real human human emotion behind it. Um, but but to kind of um, pivot off that a little... Oh, I wanted to bring up one more point, too. I, and I think it's important in, like, seeing the way players come out. And I think it's important to take note of for the rest of the season as at the whole is that, like, I don't know. It, it doesn't matter that much. Like, do I need to say this on the podcast? But, like, I think we need to give players and stuff the space to process this stuff a little bit differently like a thing that kind of made me feel a little bit weird uh is like the idea of like 
the Lakers have to win the championship now or like how nice it would be if the Lakers win the championship now. I, I understand the impulse to do that and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I can't help having this weird feeling of like, uh, why do we have to assume that like the death of someone close to him is going to make LeBron James like play better? You know what I mean? Or yeah. like, obviously we want those story book endings and those fit. We realize the things that would be nice and like, you know, tie things up clearly. But like, I don't know. How would you be able to? I don't, people having to go and do their jobs after like the death of somebody close to them is is tough. And I I I kind of have this weird empathy towards towards those people. Like, and like if they don't win the championship, like yeah, what it's it equally mean? okay. Like yeah. I, you know, you know what I mean that. So I don't know. I have complicated. It's right. hard for me to put it into words, but I kind of have complicated. Given all of that, I kind of have complicated feelings about then turning, and and saying that or saying like, oh, Giannis, if Giannis wins the championship because him and Kobe had that relationship or something like that too. It's hard for me to parse that because it feels like a re a jarring return back to the to the storylines we were kind of talking about and referencing Well, earlier. and I think you just kind of mentioned it there. Isn't it just kind of returning back to the narratives that people are comfortable yeah. with and how it fits yeah. cleanly with... Yeah, yeah like, you're probably right the there. I can't fault people for, for wanting, for having that tendency. Of, like, having the storybook yeah. ending almost of, like, because of this, there was something else that redeemed that. But, I mean, obviously, that can't ever be done. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know where else you wanted to go after yeah, I this. Wanted to, I, wanted to I wanted to hit something else I, yeah, that yeah. I think is tangentially related to this, and I'm, we're not professionals. Like, it's hard to like cleanly talk about these things and segue between mm -hmm. them. Hopefully people, at the very least, can find something useful out of, out of this conversation. I know I can at least. What did you make of... I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and mm. reading stuff, at least where I can. There were a couple, like, I think the first couple days I was interested in reading stuff, and then I got a little bit, like, maybe overloaded, yeah. and then I've kind of returned to it in, yep. in the past day or so. What did you make of this idea? I, I thought it was kind of interesting, and in talking about humanity and, like, what we maybe didn't think about when it, ca when it came to Kobe that's now came to light. I thought what was interesting, like, it's well-trodden that, like, he became more open as time went on. And, um, yeah, that, like, and, and, and especially in his post-career, but, like, that w the time I knew him, at least those 08, 09, 10 to, like, the end of his career years, he maybe became a little bit more vulnerable, friendly with the media. He showed us a little bit more of him was maybe more uh, connected with other players and stuff like that. That That's one thing. But also, hearing these stories about, like, Kobe the intellectual, like, Kobe the guy who would, like, call these pe people up randomly and want to talk about TV or movies or writing, media, you know, that this curious guy, like, did hearing those types of stories or maybe there's something some other kind of stories you've heard that I might have not alluded to here how was your kind of view on Kobe the person shifted or like what what have you thought of that idea the last couple couple days yeah i think it was i think it was kind of interesting how his whole 
life was kind of so set on basketball, mm-hmm. and then he had this post post playing career of being like this venture capitalist, investing in companies and traveling and doing all these different things with different companies that I felt was kind of played into that intellectual aspect that really drove him and made him curious and kind of wanting to be this businessman that I don't think a lot of people foresaw because I think if you can kind of remember back to like his retirement days I think a lot of people were kind of thinking like how's Kobe gonna retire like he's been so singularly focused on basketball because of like the brand that he built up with like Mamba mentality and all that type of stuff Mm -hmm. That I think a lot of people were like questioning if he was actually retiring or not at the time because a lot of people were saying like Kobe's a basketball player. Yeah. What else is he gonna do post post playing career? And I think that intellectual intellectual curiosity that he had when kind of referencing and talking to you know different people across industries shows that he he was a really multifaceted yeah. type of person but because of the the I guess the drive and yep. drive to be great yep. or the one of the greatest in the NBA showed that he kind of put those on hold because that was what was required for him to attain yeah. those levels you, of you, success. You completely hit on it. That That's how I was going to put it. And I think it's not something anyone's brought up yet in that. And I was thinking about, too, like this idea of is people mention the curiosity and stuff, but how fascinating it is that someone could go from he was known as so singularly focused on basketball. And then to go from that to being this kind of polymath. I mean, he obviously showed, he was obviously mostly focused in kind of media, like storytelling. He had written written some children's books. He had done these TV things. Like, it's kind of interesting even, and other people have brought this up, like, he didn't just want to be a talking head on, like, inside the NBA or whatever. Even his forays into basketball related media like detail which isn't a show like i really watched or anything nope. or like yeah. the muse cage stuff like he wanted to approach basketball in a different or his post-career takes on basketball in a different way than the usual player but i think you hit on it perfectly it's funny i didn't actually think of it we we both thought of it in the same way of like him applying his drive shifting from basketball to the post-career I wondered myself if it was I maybe the idea of like once basketball someone who the I wonder how the Achilles tear kind of affected him in that way I wonder if this is a guy who had lived his whole life focusing on basketball and when that it became clear that he couldn't play it forever then turn you know turn and tried to find something else and but apparently he he looked at michael jordan in a very similar way like saw kind of michael this is completely stolen from zach Lowe, but being lost in the wilderness a little bit and was determined not to be like that so you know this is a guy who it, this has kind of led me to something else uh who kind of like was very cognizant of the storylines about athletes and and stuff like that and i wanted to talk about this really really quickly i think kobe set the stage in many ways for for the next generation of of basketball stars in 
being a guy who wanted to shape his own narrative mm-hmm. um, and was very... Remember, like, the Mamba and all this stuff. These are self-coined terms, you know what I mean? These yeah. aren't things that the media gave him. This is a guy who very consciously played into his own image and wanted to be viewed in a certain way and, and was able to do that really, really well. And I think it's fascinating to l- compare him to LeBron because I wonder if LeBron was not influenced in some way by that because now we've seen LeBron almost take that to another level, like to this almost hyper, hyper uh, specific, you know what I mean, controlling every little bit of information that comes out about him. And, and I wonder if that's one of the reasons why he's so universally revered among NBA players, especially. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, I mean, I think a couple things kind of go into that, especially with like technology being mm-hmm. changing, like with Twitter, with Instagram, with all these different platforms now. How, how I guess like these, these athletes have their own voice and they're able to kind of display them and use their voice in that medium how they see fit in comparison to early on in Kobe's career that none of this was available. So he'd be talking to reporters about and, and trying to get his narrative out through reporters and working in that way, especially a lot of the, the stuff that was going on between Shaq and Kobe was like Kobe talking to different, to like a reporter. And then Shaq would be like hearing it from, Oh, did you hear what Kobe said about you here? And then Shaq would be like, Oh my God. And it's just interesting nowadays how because of those platforms, they have given Kobe or have given like modern day athletes like LeBron to shape their narrative in these ways. And I I find it interesting because LeBron kind of has, you know, jumped and I, I don't I I feel bad not credited crediting who I heard this from. But LeBron kind of shaped his career in that like he jumped from t- team to team. Like now he's with the Lakers, yeah. his third team. And Kobe pretty much stuck it out with the Lakers, even though there was a lot of shaky times there. Yeah. Whether or not he was going to go to the Clippers, whether or not he was wanting to get traded to the Bulls or mm-hmm. something like that. But he's event, you know, he stuck it out with the Lakers and, and he, and it was kind of interesting. Like he shaped his own narrative, but within the context of like, what was provided for him yeah. in that situation. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um and yeah. I think and I think that kind of plays to the special relationship that he has with LA, obviously, yeah. because of, you know, being that one one city athlete for the for the entirety of his career and that relationship that he had with LA I think plays into that a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um and it's just incredible that he, like, there were a lot of shaky times during those early years, especially whether or not the uh, buses were going to decide to go with Kobe or go with Shaq initially. at So they were going for the four-peat. They brought the super team together. They had Malone and mm-hmm. Peyton. Didn't work out. They lost in the finals to, I believe, that Detroit Pistons team, and there was a lot of shock. And, and, and post that, both of those guys were sick of each other and they were trying to decide what was going to happen. They ultimately decided to go with Kobe. And then from there, it just kind of like, like there was those like lost years basically. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to wonder 
I it, this is like taking us in a whole different yeah, that's direction, fine. but it's just like I'm curious to see like what what would have happened there. Like there there could have been so many opportunities for like on the court success over there and whether or not like the situations about like like maybe his attitude towards like Shaq and whether or not those will ever like bubble up again really or if it just kind of gets washed away I, because no, it's of an interesting that. yeah i think it's one of those things where you don't want to get too overly meta about it but i think a thing we've kind of been alluding to is like unfortunately the fact that this story has like un- now kind of a definite end to it will probably sand some of the edges off off yeah. some of this stuff um I didn't mean to bring it up there, but like me and you have been talking a lot I, I about kind of like Kobe's legacy on the whole. And, and I think me and you in the last couple of days have become, I don't think we are going to like super go deep into this, but like talking about Kobe's basically sexual assault uh, allegations, admissions in what what year was that? Like t- 2004 or something like I think that? it was 0304. 0304. Yeah, and kind time. of, both of you have been, I mean, it's it should be said first and foremost that like we weren't alive at, well, we were <laughs> alive at this time, but we weren't paying much attention to I mean, we're, the NBA. I, I mean, 12. I was eight, yeah. so like I wasn't. But I think me and you have both been interested in this idea of like where does that now fit in and i think you and i both universally agreed that like in the first couple days it's not the first thing that needs to be mentioned right away and it's not the first thing that needs to be mentioned now and we gave it you know we gave 45 minutes of of not bringing this up but uh i don't know i'm i'm trying to think of the way to the way to broach this I guess from a, it's been yeah. I, I wanted to say that it's it's been an interesting when we were talking about the the meta narratives and like the kind of human the the human reaction we all have to this. It it just made me think a lot about like I mean, we've been talking a lot about narratives and legends and how those things get shaped and contrasting that with humanity and where where the space is is for these things like to to I I mean I no don't want to like rehash I don't want to hash out the details of of the Kobe Bryant sexual assault allegations I I would encourage everyone to read the Daily Beast article about it you've read it Kevin I suggested you read it and I wouldn't say it's a particularly biased viewpoint of things like it definitely has a a, 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 a narrative but it's mostly based in police reports and legal proceedings and things of that nature and i wanted to say that like and this is kind of this would have been the best way to start it i didn't really have that much of a knowledge about what happened or what i knew that there was this specter kind of like looming over his talks and that when people bring him up this thing gets mentioned but but i didn't know what happened and it you know and i it kind of is this thing of just like the legend, myth, and storytelling versus like nuance, and you know, mm-hmm. having room for for all these different things. Because like th- the people, like I I wanted to say that like it's not like 
People like Jamel Hill have written complimentary pieces of Kobe, like Jackie McMullen. It's not like this thing where, like, women's voices are getting drowned out. You know what I mean? Like, where this right. narrative is getting pushed by a certain specter of people, and then a certain specter of people are pushing out against it. There's kind of this, on the whole, need or desire to kind of overlook things no, we're not overlook things, but and I think Jeremy Gordon, I would suggest everyone read Jeremy Gordon's article about it. Uh, Jeremy Gordon outlined Kobe, if you look it up, it's just about this idea of like what should get mentioned first and when and like what does our reaction to these kind of things uh, and where we fit the nasty and objectively nasty bits of someone's, I mean, Kobe Bryant admitted to having a... a a sexual uh, experience that he ad- acknowledged his other partner didn't think was consen- consensual, and I'm putting it extremely politely there. So I've kind of rambled for a bit, and now I'll toss it back to you. What? How are you reacting to all of these no, I, things I think that I'm saying? The ways that you can kind of parse it is from like a from like just this specific example of like Kobe Bryant's complicated and like complicated. I know that's why the air like quotes. Co- I think the thing, though, is that complicated gives such short shrift almost in both ways to some extent. Because you want to acknowledge the the terrible thing that this is, at least in my mind. But you also want to be able to acknowledge the fact that he possibly was able to move on and 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 grow from it and later on do do good things as well but then <laughs> there's really no easy way to to put it and i, I guess think, because yeah. you want to give proper credence just using it as like a p- thing that he learned from isn't really fair to to anyone he might he victimized right. a- as well so i'm sorry i'll let you get back to it no i think what the, you were saying. i mean i think the perfect word that you used in your your response was the nuanced of of like there's more to someone's life or someone's story than just here's a headline and yeah. take it for what it yeah. it is that you will and then from a macro level i think it's interesting um kind of like taking a more heady look at a lot of a lot of these issues and and this being like one of the examples is how how do we react to stories like this in the wake of someone's death like, how do we evaluate someone's problematic history with someone that has just passed away? Yeah. And, like, I, I'm thinking of a lot of, like, political figures in our in our past and a lot of people kind of pointing out, like, here are the things that ended up doing within their administration or within their political careers that were wrong. And how do we look at that in contrast to what they did maybe later on in their careers, um, maybe not to rectify those situations because those can't be rectified at all, but it's in in order to, like, say, oh, those were legitimately positive things yeah. that ended up happening under their watch. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the nuance, of nuance factor kind of comes in and being able to take it for what it is and being able to evaluate it without... With as little bias as possible. Yeah, and I th- and, and at the end of the day, you're gonna have to apply your own moral, personal, you know, lens lens to things. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it probably depends. 
how you put everything into context depends on a lot of things. It depends on your own views. It depends on a person's importance to your own life. You know what I mean? It depends on kind of your your outlook on culture and weighing the kind of someone's cultural influence versus like their personal as uh, you know not to once again where i think you and i are doing our best to give everything it's it's proper due but their personal and you know the problematic things they've done and and to put it and i was interested in because i kind of wanted to put a positive spin on this idea not any anything we've been discussing but I actually, I wanted to or say, see how you thought about this. I actually think on the whole, ev- in the past few days, like everything, like we think about social media and we think about things like cancel culture and like they have their positives and their negatives, right? Like the thing about social media, it's nice that we can, demo- like in this specific interest, it's nice that we can democratize kind of like, this process like back in the day it would be like you'd watch news reports and people would write columns and that would be the end and the and the mythology would get pretty much written like lady uh, the princess diana her mythology was written by you know news reports and 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 newspaper articles and candle in the wind by elton john whereas we get a much more 360 view of things now obviously the the downside to that is that, like you said, looking at social media on the day Kobe died, 90% of the things were really nice, and then 10% were wildly out of pocket, and you have to be exposed to that 10%. And and the thing I was going to say about like problematic faves and cancel culture, I think as time goes on, instead of just sweeping things under the rug or like letting things go and then all of a sudden going back and saying like, no, well, there was this thing and now we have to discount everything. I I think we're actually maybe going to start to get better. And with like a person like Kobe are kind of getting better at being able to contextual. I would hope at least like, that's why maybe I'm, I'm looking at things too, Rosalie, but maybe we're actually going to get better and are getting better at, at contextualizing the whole of, someone's life basically versus their cultural impact yeah and i i think that's gonna be something and i i mean i think that's what's gonna be getting that process of getting better at evaluating or like not even evaluating but contextualizing someone's life and what their life means kind of is gonna over social media media is going to get better. I guess the expediency factor is the hard part because of, like, how fast Twitter is and, like, how fast our news culture is compared to, like, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, like, what does that... Yeah, I mean, we're just two guys. We can't... Yeah, no, I I totally get what you're saying. The, The ability of things to move so fast arguably means that some of those things can get glazed over as well but at least they at least they get their due and there's always going to be certain people who who want to you know and that's why i wanted to make a point i i don't i think it's pretty obvious that neither of us are you know that we're just uh, that at least I'll speak for myself that I'm not like saying that this should be the dominant narrative regarding Kobe O'Brien or something like that. But the reason I mentioned the Daily Beast article and encourage people to read it is just because like of the tendency, like our tendency to kind of just 
write something off that we don't necessarily know about or whatever. And arguably social media allows for that to happen. But it also, at the very least, allows for every little bit to get its proper due. And sometimes that's to our detriment because there are people who emphasize one thing or over another or take the absolute most extreme position or whatever. But, right, you right. know, at, at least at least it gets aired out as opposed to, you know, only being presented in one way. Yeah, and I, I guess, like, the... And, like, to get into, like, the specifics of, like, all that type of stuff, like, we talked about the macro, kind yeah. of. But, like, in the specific incident, th- like, I think the the interesting thing that and and the multivariate takes that I was listening to and hearing and seeing on Twitter was like kind of like well people should know this side of Kobe because mm-hmm. like you know he it wasn't all roses and stuff yeah. like that but then there's like this other side of like then and it was kind of an interesting nuanced take that I didn't even really think about and w- how important that is in our culture of like this idea of like and you brought up cancel culture and how how do people kind of like come back from that and this idea of like forgiveness and yeah. like this idea of like making a mistake but then having positive things and and it's it's kind of hard because making a mistake Makes no, it seem we like don't want to minimize anything. No, I think that, it's pretty. I I think people can understand that we're talking about this extemporaneously right, and right. doing our best. And yeah, even forgiveness, like whose place is it to forgive? forgive. Who for who for what? But I I totally under understand where where right, you're right. coming from. I think it's just like there's no perfect way to to put it. Right, and and I wonder what that kind of looks like in today's culture now and i'm not sure that i i'm not, I'm not sure that especially like on twitter like yeah. we're supposed no, to yeah that's true we're, like that's but at the end of the bad. day uh, at the end of the day i mean the fact of the matter is this discussion hasn't stopped kobe bryant from pretty much being universally revered, revered and right. mourned yep. so i think at the end of the day and i'm not saying that to be like flippant in any way it ju- it just is is true um so maybe i don't know what what else what else did we want to kind of kind of hit on here because i don't i don't think ending on that no i don't really yeah, want to yeah. head no on i that, mean no. honestly there wasn't much that i really wanted to hit on other than all the things that we talked about other and and like i guess the only other thing that i wanted to talk about was this idea of what he was kind of portraying as a dad yeah and as yeah a, i think th- yeah as a father figure yeah. and how much he was pouring into yeah his girls yeah lives and his daughter's lives and just the i think a lot of people kind of were giving him all this uh praise for the way he really like talked with his daughter Gigi about basketball yeah. and things like that but just like the <coughs> sorry the That's way okay. the way he was being very um just like this positive role model yeah. in their lives um and how he kind of preached this idea of hard work and and like you could kind of see s- throughout some of the stories that were being t- told like the L Duncan story really blew up viral uh went viral in that like 
you know, girl dad and all yeah. that type of stuff and like how happy he was to have girls. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of reminded of that story that I think it was on Kimmel. He talked about how uh, like random people would come up to to him and be like, hey, like you need to have a son so you can yeah. carry on the legacy. And and then his daughter was like, I'm right here. Like, I'll yeah. So so like just having those like. And those those were like good insights. No, it is and a pretty. Be- I like found so much of that stuff very moving, and and I think the like cultural, and I I hope people don't think we're like give, being impersonal or something like that by trying to kind of put a cultural lens to this. But I think another reason that was just so affecting is, it's kind of also that idea of multitudes that has kind of come over and over again on this podcast because that's such a necessary and nice contrast from who we knew on the basketball court you know what i mean that this guy and it's obvious no shit someone's gonna like love their kids or whatever but i i think it is so moving because this guy who we thought of as this often insular super tough you know uh this guy who channeled all of his his rage and his negative energy and turned it into output on the basketball court to see him be uh, soft in 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 his own way and to see him him take take so much pride in in raising girls and and uh, pouring you know uh, resources and energy into women's basketball and that's not to say those things are are a dichotomy in and of itself that you know men are this way and women are this way but I I just think it shows that other other side of him that that people are coming to appreciate and in at in the in the wake of his passing and I mean god yeah the stuff any at anything involving him and gianna i mean it th- it's at the when you see those things that like the trat to kind of bring it full circle that th- that the true tragedy of it kind of kind of starts to rear his head it, it it's head again um yeah, yeah and i i guess like the other thing that i wanted to say in response to that is like i think everyone could kind of look at that relationship or even the relationship that he had with his kids and see the commonality of in humanity yeah. of just being like at the end of the day he was a dad that loved his kids and like you know we're sons of our parents and we can kind of see that love that our parents show us uh-huh. and when you know i'm sure parents that have kids nowadays nowadays taking their kids to sporting events and things like that there's just like that idea of like on you know Kobe did the same thing yeah and show and hat and has that common experience that's so relatable across the country that I think a lot of people could kind of see within that relationship as well so I I don't know I just it's such a tough thing to talk about especially like we're less than a week four or five days after yeah um the the incident and it's just still like you i i kind of like i move back and forth of like it's set in but then at the same time like wow that's kind of crazy that it actually happened yeah and uh i i think i'm glad we were able to kind of have this conversation now in this time like uh i think we've done our best to kind of parse our feelings about it as 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 it stands but again just to just to look to think about like i don't think this is going away anytime soon and i think this conversation 
about both him and about kind of his legacy and about his effects on on the game, on culture. And I think, you know, this conversation about our own, what his this has shown about us as as people is is, is something that that that's going to continue. So totally agree. Um, so, Andrew. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like. This is another example of my great uh, segue in, into something else, but basketball is still going on, yeah, and and we've been still watching basketball, and you know, uh, there that Kobe Bryant would want us to keep watching basketball and talking about basketball, right? I exactly. So I just did a good segue. That, that was a that was a that was a great up. segue. So just cut around that. Uh, no, no, that's a great segue. <laughs> so, Andrew, since we are still watching basketball, yeah. um. What are some of the things and impressions that you're getting around the league? Like, aside from all the Kobe stuff yeah. and the, the tributes that have been extremely touching and really cool of to course. see. What are some of, like, the interesting on-court basketball things that you've kind of noticed? There's a couple things around the league that are super random that that I've been noticing. Well, you hit on one first because I'm going to have to bring up Damian Lillard. So you just okay. talk about something that's not Damian Lillard. Um. How good the Bucks are! Uh-huh. Like I, 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 I think a lot of people think the Bucks are this regular season team, and obviously it's kind of we don't we won't know until the playoffs if they are just a regular season team or not. But they are historically great in terms of their point differential. I think it's like thir- close to thirteen points yeah. a game, and the the Golden State team that ended up breaking the record for best record in the regular season was around 10 or 11 points. So if you can kind of conceive of how good this Bucks team is, that's the comparison. Yeah. Um, And how good, like I'm surprised at how good they look. <laughs> and, and Giannis didn't play a couple games ago because he sat out. Chris Middleton goes off for 51. Like there, that was, that's like one interesting thing. Here's another really wild, interesting thing that I Michael Porter Jr. coming out of nowhere, yeah, he's been like playing really, really well, and he's shown he's like fulfilled that potential that, or like starting to fulfill the potential that I think a lot of people saw out of Missouri, but he wasn't able to show because of that back injury, and he could be like he's like a player that could kind of raise the profile of Denver's chances in the playoffs and. And like maybe not this year, but like yeah, moving I'm, forward. Yeah, I'm shaking my head because I, I or not shaking my head, but I'm kind of showing a IDK grimace on my face. I'm not sure about this year, but I I agree that going forward, it's definitely something that that sure if he pops and is a bona fide, you know, all starish level of player in the NBA. That I mean, that's incredibly important for the Nuggets. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess my my last thing, and maybe we could talk about this because Nets Blazers, Kyrie. Like I'm, I I keep telling myself from the words of wisdom that so you had you, from the you? words of wisdom that you had last time given to me. This year is not the year. Yeah. Next year is the year, and I keep telling myself. So that. could you contact? Oh, I wanted to say one thing about the Bucks. It's interesting because both of those things. So have we? You, I think, predicted the Bucks to make the finals. Yep. I think I picked the Sixers. 
I'm starting to feel like mm, the Bucks jump- might be so g- yeah. I, I, off I, the I well, that's what I'm. Do, do you think what what do you make of has has the Bucks success and and we talked about this a little bit last time we well, talked, but like, what's the point where we? I, is there anything they can do in the regular season to convince us? Because even though even if you did pick them, there's nothing they can really do to convince us for sure that they're the team that's going to come out of the East. Yeah, despite yeah. This, they, right? I mean, they have to prove it in the in the playoffs. Yeah. To for me to actually believe, but everything they've done thus far kind of makes you think like they are so good at this point. Like, yeah. how can you not think they're yeah. the favorites in the East? Yeah. And it's almost foolish if you don't think they are. Um, and maybe you could kind of talk about playoff experience and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, like, you got to get – at the end of the day, like, sometimes what you see on the court is what you see on the court. And that, like, it's a real thing. And I, I'm just th- – I think that's kind of where my surprise is in Milwaukee because of how good they look, and they probably are the prohibitive favorites. So I was going to say on 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 points bet, they're minus 120 to win the East, and then it's the 76ers at plus 400. That seems about right to me. Yeah, it, it does. It seems right. I think if I were putting money on it, I kind of like the value of the Sixers there, just to say you then have the Celtics at plus 500 and the Heat at plus 800. Of course, we have the trade deadline coming up and something that'll be interesting to monitor. I'm trying to think, when is the trade deadline, actually? We'll probably podcast again post. We probably won't podcast again before the trade deadline, will we? No, because I think the trade deadline is actually... um I believe it's before it the All-Star game. It definitely is before the All-Star so, game. Um, trade, anyway. deadlines, trade deadlines next yeah, week. Yeah, it's in a it's, week. It's so, yeah, we won't. From but now. just to, like, we didn't need a prohibitive trade deadline preview. But what I, I think we were talking about on the phone and I think just relates to this convo. And then I want to circle back to the Kyrie stuff. We can do Kyrie and Damon then, and then call it a day. But... Um, I think it will be interesting to see if how the Bucks, Lakers, and Clippers specifically how they can improve on the margins. I don't think any of them are good netting some sort of big star. But when you look at players like Andre Iguodala, Marcus Morris, I mean, if one of them could get a guy like Bogdanovich or Covington, I think the Bucks are the team that's most likely to do that based on based on the assets they have. But even beyond that, like how do these teams that seem to be so scrum because like right now they have. Points bet has Bucks at plus two seventy five, Lakers at plus two seventy five, and Clippers at plus three twenty. And so I think that seems a, that seems about yeah. right to me. And how those players start to kind of like I'm picturing NASCAR, you know, they're all tight and bumping and grinding and trying to inch out in front of each other. How the, how they do that at the de- at what we anticipate is going to be a pretty quiet deadline will will be interesting. So unless you have anything to no, add to that, yeah, I mean, I think. In regards to the trade deadline, like, there are a couple things. Like, Clippers, what they do with, like, Mo Harkless's expiring yeah. and, like, I, and, and whether or not they can get anything of value that's same markedly with, better do you think than Kuzma, that. Do you think Kuzma gets moved? Because that's pretty think, much what they have I, I think to they might move. try, but I don't the know Clippers what they would get better. The Clippers have a first-round pick, and the, I think in Duncan's mock trade deadline – they ended up getting Marcus Morris for some sort of... But does that, like, does he make them that, like, are you happy with that, or...? 
No, but he makes them better. Yeah, I don't think he like makes them prohibitively better, but he adds a, a nice def a, a player who can defend better than than Kuzma at the very least, and maybe fits a little bit better into a closing lineup. Yeah, I like he doesn't get me like extremely excited. What about Iggy for either the Clippers or the or the Lakers? Are they moving the needle for you? I think Iggy on the Clippers would be pretty Iggy, pretty wild. Iggy on the Clippers especially with him not having not played at all. Yeah. Yeah, he I think he kind of like you know, he can change something for mm-hmm. like if he's in a rotation playing 15 minutes a game or 20 minutes a game for the Clippers like that's it. Th- but that's but to something. where I think your overall point was getting, I do see your point of like, is it likely that any of these teams are gonna make a move that like really puts them over the top? Well, probably not. But when you get to those latter rounds, like those you don't really know what guys are gonna pop or or be able to say on the floor. And uh, having we've seen kind of, I think we saw that with Toronto to some extent last year, having a guy like. Fred Van Vliet or what? Not compare. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But having that guy who can find, who can pop in those in those big games is important. Yeah. Let's just say there's no Marcus Saul out there that yes. I think yeah, that is going right. to kind of be like, Agreed. oh wow, Toronto pushed their chips into the middle of the yep. table and they're making a move at it. That, so that's true. I, don't I think see if a that. team that did that, like it would be somebody like the Nuggets. That would be pretty fascinating. I don't know who they. What, but it would be interesting. Maybe get off that of would be Gary my Harris one and try to trade. I don't buy yeah. it. I don't even know. Yeah, what that would be would like the blow me out of the water kind of kind of thing that I think could happen, but has like a less than you know seven percent chance of happening. Yep. And then your Portland team made a trade too, Trevor Reese. Yes. And like let's go back to let's go back to the Nets though, because okay, I, we okay. can end, end with that because I I have a pretty cogent idea of. I wanted you to explain because I don't even I know the two or three pieces comment, but I don't really know the context so just i go back to i want your explanation of that quote and uh kind of your your feelings on the whole because that that's where we started this well i mean he was kind of basically talking about just like do the nets have it and like kind of like calling out some different players i believe it was like joe harris and i think it might i i can't remember the other guy but i he was basically saying like there's not enough talent, so there should be like a couple moves being made and like yeah. pieces. Being I mean, he's not wrong about the first part of that statement, is no, he? No, it's but it's not wrong per it's se. It's not useful, but it's not it, it's not useful at all yeah. for like what. And I think that's the frustrating thing, and not that. Like, we didn't even, like, I think a lot of Boston fans were like, oh, you'll be happy with him for a couple months, and then, like, he'll kind of, like, do this weird thing, and we're kind of, like, in the middle of that right now. Yeah. But we didn't even get, like, like we got you didn't the... didn't even get we the got, good part, We got really. the, like, week of uh, amazing performances that yeah. led to, like, a 2-2 two and two record <laughs> before he ended up kind of, like, getting hurt yeah. and, like, doing his thing. And I don't want to be, like extremely hard on Kyrie because like granted like it this season like what you said in the last podcast about basically this season not really mattering in the nets in the grand scheme of things makes sense but it's also like I want to enjoy watching my team a little bit and like he hasn't he's like on and off the court Spencer Dinwiddie not that he's looked better than Kyrie it's just like 
because not as much is expected out of Spencer Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie and he's outperforming those expectations, it kind of gives me like a little bit of joy to kind of see that. Yeah. And the fact that Karis LeVert hasn't hasn't developed as much as I thought he would during this season where KD is out is a little bit of a disappointment because he's basically a six man coming off the bench at this point and they're you know clawing for an eighth seed it's just like I thought they would be a little bit better than this at least match what they had from last year and they've been a couple games worse than that yeah so I think that's why it's been a little bit more it's been a little frustrating and that's so I've heard a couple people talk about this do you think there is a possibility that I don't think they're making any sort of big move but uh, an interesting thing, though, is that it is true that as KD starts to come back, it's going to be extremely hard to keep around the Joe Harrises of the world. Do you think there's any worlds where one of those guys, ancillary types of pieces, gets moved for something that might be more useful to them going, yeah, forward? going forward? Because they can't really do anything. They can't fuck themselves badly enough to like drop out of the playoffs, it seems. like They're going to probably be that seventh or eighth seed yeah. like and and that's it um like i mean what, they're not you, too far wh- ahead of like people below them but it's just like i there's still like a comfort that they're gonna make the playoffs uh-huh. at least in my mind yeah no i think that's in mo i think i think i think like i'm guessing 538 probably i i'll look that up while yeah, you're yeah. continuing to talk but like would you rather they just kind of stand pat and see what happens or like is there anything that you think i just think could this, or or might or i think that might be the smart move to maybe like kind of jettison like harris for something but like he's like the perfect guy that you kind of want around someone like kd like yeah. He's like that spot up shooter that you want. Stand in the corner, shoot the three, like, and he can like do secondary things too. I mean, there's like things that like could ideally be better, maybe a little bit more shooting, honestly. But like, what what team isn't looking for shooting out there? And yeah, three and D guys. That's so that's where it's like, it's like, sure, that's what I would want more of, but I don't know where else you would find it. Yeah. No, it, it would be something probably that, that we weren't expecting. Five thirty eight has them at an eighty percent chance of making the playoffs. And the next the next the the Nets and the Magic and then they have the Bulls at seventeen percent. So it it, w- it would be it would be pretty it would it would be pretty unlikely. Um yeah, and you were mentioning the Blazers before. I was telling you, and it's on continuing on that team of having your team be enjoyable to watch. I mean, you know as well as anyone that I was, like, as frustrated. Not frustrated because, like, I wasn't mad about the team losing games, but I found this team as hard to watch. Even though, like, on the whole, the, the and I said this last time we talked, most of the pieces, Dame's, CJ has been, like, up and down, but, like, that's not super surprising to me. I think Melo, for what he is, has been solid. I think Hassan Whiteside, for what he is, has been solid. And Dame, obviously, over the past four games to kind of, like, give away the what I'm about to say has been incredibly fun to watch at, at times this season and overall has been as good as he was in the last two years, if, if not better. But um, there were just like there was just a thing about this team that I kind of found found 
unfortunate in from kind of the stagnation and iso ballness of their offense which i don't blame them for having i think that's one of the more efficient ways they've you know what i mean you have to work with what you have to their inability to to basically stop seemingly anybody in in fourth quarters of games but this uh, and i think that was unfortunately Kent Bazemore played played a pretty big role in that, and in the first couple games of Trevor Ariza, it appears like they've kind of had an adult in the room to guard threes, which isn't that has nothing to do with Bazemore. He was at that's Neil O'Shea's fault for not having enough forwards on the on the roster, um, but that combined with like seemingly Ariza being better at knowing where to space and put himself in certain situations compared to Bazemore in the Rockets game last night, um, which in which the Rockets played terribly, so I'm not taking too, too much from that. When Dame was getting double teamed, Ariza seemed to just kind of know where to put himself to either release pressure or kind of throw the defense a little bit so Dame could take advantage of it. And it just seems like a combination of Ariza plus guys like Gary Trent Jr. coming into their own over the last couple of days, they just look more competent than they did before. So I, I'm liking their chances more and more for their eight, for, for that eighth seed, although I, I, I still would put it as a less than 50% chance that it happened, but up from maybe like 30, as I was feeling a couple weeks ago. What me and you have been talking about is what the trade deadline might hold for them. Um, they have these expiring contracts in Whiteside uh, and, and, and some other assets available. You know, I, I, I think if they do it, they're looking for something that is going to be basically like in lieu of a free agency signing. So be it like a forward, like a starting caliber three, like a Robert Covington. That would be ideal. I yeah, think. it would be ideal. Or, you know, possibly flipping Whiteside for somebody like I, I heard this kind of thrown out, like flipping Whiteside for like a combination of like a Marvin Williams and like a Cody Zeller type thing, like where you are getting back a backup center of the future and getting someone to keep you afloat this year. Because I was saying to you, like, you were talking about just what could happen with Whiteside, and I just said that, like, I don't think they'll flip him just or use him just to use him because I think it just is a really bad look to Dame to kind of, like, sell out the rest of the season, even if it might be better for their long term to not chase the eighth seed so hard. I, I think especially with how well he's been playing. I mean, I haven't mentioned that he's averaged pretty much 50 over the last four games. He had it's a been ridiculous. Last yeah. Night. yeah, it's been the best basketball of his career by far. I mean, his shot making from three. Two shots from like 35 he's been, yeah, feet Yeah, it's out. basically like Crazy. he's been playing like he played in the OKC series for, for the past few games, um, which, which has been a joy to watch. And I think he's really starting to kind of feel the pressure and the need to, to play that well. Um but uh, yeah, I couldn't think of. A, I'm I'm trying to think of where I was going with that. So I'll be. Int- I wouldn't be surprised either way. Like if they make a move or I if think they it's don't, like a probably like a fifty fifty. Like he stays, he goes. Like mm, I'd, I'd put knows. it a little lower. I'd really? probably okay. say thirty five percent chance he gets traded. Okay, I like from my point of view, it would just makes sense from like a ruthless but like GM. It also like depends what's going to be out there. Olshay's been pretty. His trades over the years, he's been other than 
I mean, no, the things he like, like the Bazemore trade didn't work out, but he he's been pretty good. Remember that that he saved their season with the Nurkic trade a couple of years Spot, ago, where he got a first round for yeah. first rounder for sw- swapping him for Plumlee. So he's pretty savvy, and I don't think he's going to make a move for the sake of making a move. I think something mm. has to present itself that gives them something for next year and probably saves them in the luxury tax or gets them close to out of the luxury tax as well. So part of it's just going to depend on an opportunity presenting itself because we really don't know how motivated teams are going to be to sell, especially because there's a glut of teams in the Western Conference, including the Blazers, who are kind of in no man's land. Yeah, I, I just think it's really tough for this team. Like, yeah. Rod- the Rodney Hood injury was tough oh, for yeah. them, too. Yeah. Like. And that like depleted their size even more at the three spot. So like, like the Riza signing or the Riza trade really helped them out. I think, um, in kind of like being that competent adult like you were talking about in the room that knows where to go and position themselves. So like I, I I'm just gonna be really interested to see like how the landscape in general, the trade deadline landscape is gonna look, um, and how it plays out. Before we go, can I just give you a piece of news that just came in for the heads? We were talking about okay. the All-Star yep. game. Uh, we can talk about that. And I don't feel the need to talk about yep, that. We'll talk about it. So time. had you read about this thing about like the salary cap possibly being lower and stuff like that? Yep. So the number just came out. It's going to be $115 million and it was projected for $116 million. Okay. So basically any notion of China in the short term completely fucking with the NBA's revenue or the, you know, the... TV ratings going down and and the world being on fire doesn't seem very uh doesn't seem like it really much of a at least as of right now to have yeah it, to be showing kind of much int- of a material impact. I, it's kind of interesting because I sent you a article this morning. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Th- they were saying it would it could have possibly been as low as like one twelve, which would have been like a material amount. Like yeah. that would have been a ton of money um for them to kind of lose out on in terms of the salary cap yeah and would have changed a lot of teams thinking involving like the luxury tax and stuff like that too because it would set the luxury tax line lower right so there's that um yeah i I, it'll be i it's like a very it's it's one of those times in the nba that we've gotten so much perspective because of what happened with kobe and then now like People are starting to return back to talking about. Yeah, I mean, we certainly did. Yeah, so I mean, basketball goes on, and I think every. Uh, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, but no, no. Things, go ahead. things, th- those two things can go coexist. I think, and t- to that effect, I think a nice way to kind of put a put a cap on everything. The Blazers play the Lakers at Staples Center on on Friday night, so that's going to be a very emotional night and i think something a lot of people are going to want to tune into and see from both unfortunately like a intro just general interest perspective but i think that could be hopefully a nice starting point for whatever the rest of this nba season looks like in a post kobe world totally agree all right so andrew last thing as Oh shit! Yeah, I forgot we. <laughs> I <Yep>. do tried to <laughs> tried to give it like I thought we were gonna go out on that. No, nope. but as per tradition, um, as you guys know, I forgot about the past this. couple of times. I have brought Andrew yeah. a couple Korean snacks to try. Um, first time was the honey, honey butter, butter chips. chips. 
unfortunately panned by Bon Appetit in a recent Terrible. YouTube video. I, I'm convinced they got the Whole Foods slash Trader Joe's yeah. version instead of like... Because they were like remarking on the artificial flavor on the bu- of the butter, and I thought the butter flavor was very good in, in the version you gave to me. So they might have not been getting the good stuff. Exactly. And I gave him like these peanut butter like... Crisps. Crisps. Which I thing. enjoyed. So I've enjoyed everything so far. I, I in, as everyone knows, I have my pitchfork rating system. So that will that will continue. So today I brought Andrew as I'm revealing it to him right now. Choco pie. Okay. So what is what is choco pie? Oh yeah, this looks like a basically like a. It looks like a kind of um, Entenmann's or uh, what's the thing with the with the lady on the cover on the thing? It's like the hostess, like, hostess or uh, one of those kind of things. Yep. Yeah. So, choco pie. It's um, as Andrew's looking up what that snack. Little is. Debbie is what yep. I was thinking Little of. Debbie. I'm sorry, but it's basically like chocolate and like a marshmallow filling. All right, the bust these okay. bad boys open. I'm gonna open this up. It should also be noted that you and I both had, like, a big lunch. Wait, can I just see the ingredients? It's a I long... I can't eat it. No? It has almonds in it, buddy. Oh, no. <laughs> You're going to have to I'm, so, I'm so sad. Well, as you guys just found out, Andrew's allergic to almonds. That's so. why I had to check. I was like, oh, on the... Because you man. wouldn't expect something like this to have it in it, unfortunately, but it, it must. I'm trying to look. Why does it have almonds in it? Blah, blah, blah. Shortening. Artif- it has... The last ingredient is almond powder, unfortunately. You wouldn't think something like this would have to have it in it, but now we've le- learned a valuable lesson about the... So if you guys are allergic to almonds, <laughs> don't eat choco pie, apparently, because it has almonds So I'm going to have to give this a, a 0.0 because oh, I, man. I can't eat it. So. so in the future, just so I have it on record, Andrew, what are you allergic to so n- I'm I aller- know what I can bring I'm to allergic you. to tree nuts, and I'm allergic to fish. So you can't bring me, like... I mean, I can technically eat shellfish, but I generally avoid it. So no, like, shrimp puffs. No, but once shrimp again, crackers. it's not like you brought in, like, you know, nut balls or something like that. I was you pretty good. I, I didn't, I you, honestly didn't. I checked I'm, the back to make sure there weren't, like, whole nuts in there, yeah, but yeah. didn't work out for me in yeah, my favor. It is possible that it's such a low amount that I would be fine, but I, I Andrew does I not want to risk it for yeah, the podcast. I, I can't risk it for the podcast, buddy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel a bit worse for you than No, but than if he was me. on, I mean, I guess if he was on Zach Lowe's podcast, maybe he might risk it. Yeah, if Zach Lowe had a Korean snack segment. Exactly. So, guys, um... <laughs> See how well, you eat one and tell me how it tastes. All right, I I'll try to. I'll try that. to explain it to you guys. Thank you. All right, just opened it up. It looks great. Really strong, like chocolate smell. Mm. Apparently, there's no artificial flavor. It Interesting. says no right on the on the front. It says no artificial flavor. No artificial colors and no preservatives. Um. Yeah, it pretty much looks like a a chocolate. Yeah, it looks like a cross between a Malamar and kind of um, a Malamar, and I guess a 
I don't know. Is it a cookie or a cake, though? It's a the, cake. Mm, it's a cake. Yeah. There's not much else to say, but it's. I think it's pretty good. I think <laughs> Do you taste the almonds in there? I, I don't, honestly. I think you'd There's be safe. There's peanut in it, too, which is wild. Do you taste any peanut in there? No, I don't. Like, what is... That's, I don't know. That strikes me as, like, some sort of uniquely Korean type. Like, why I are you throwing peanuts and, and almonds I in this thing? I think they're just tossing and, and they're just inside <laughs> in the kitchen. So <laughs> they're just tossing the kitchen sink. And That's funny, man. Yep. So, well, that was nice. We needed a, We've talked about a lot of difficult subjects on the pod today. This provided a nice, nice moment of levity. So. Totally agree. So, so what's your rating for it? You know what? It's not better than the honey butter chips, in mm. my opinion. Is it better than the peanut thing? I think I'd go with this th- over the peanut thing any day. So uh, go for the choco pie. I am gonna bring Andrew something next week or the next time we have a That's podcast. That's fine. I knew we were probably gonna run into this problem at some point, so it's probably better sooner rather than later. Yep. You gotta look on the back. It's not completely not your fault at all. And honestly, from the from the look, it that you've learned a valuable lesson about allergies in general. Like, you would never fucking be able to tell that this thing had nuts in it from, from the looks of it. Yeah. Definitely not. So, guys, thanks again for listening. Um, and, yep, uh, talk to you guys All right, later. thanks for having me, Kev.